0: If you have your Bible this morning, I want you to turn with me to 2 Timothy chapter 4. If you're using one of the Bibles in the rack, I think it's page 1056. I am going to preach today the greatest sermon ever preached in America. Now, um, (laughs) uh, don't, don't, don't think that's arrogant. Listen to what I have to say about that. There have been many great sermons preached in this country over the last 300 years. I think of Jonathan Edwards' famous sermon. Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God, preached in 1741 from Deuteronomy chapter 32, and that became a big part of the first great awakening that really shaped uh, religious life in the United States of America now for over 200 years. I, I think about Whitfield's sermon, Marks of a True Conversion from Matthew 18:3, 3, uh, preached about the same time as uh, Jonathan Edwards' sermon. Uh, also has been instrumental uh, in uh, Christian life and churches now for several generations. I think about Charles Spurgeon, who did not preach in America, but he was an English preacher and has had much influence here. And he preached very many sermons that have, uh, through the years, had an impact in our country. Uh, but uh, in 1855, he preached a sermon he titled, Heaven and Hell, uh, from Matthew chapter 8, And that is an example of a great, great sermon. And then we think about Southern Baptist preachers. I think about R.G. Lee and his famous sermon, Payday Someday. Have you ever heard that sermon? Uh, 1919 is when he preached that. First Kings chapter 21, and it is said that he preached it over 1,200 times. That's a lot of mileage on a sermon. But people have said, people have suggested arguably the greatest sermon preached in America uh, was preached by Clarence McCartney, uh, first in 1915. The title of that sermon was Come Before Winter. And I want to preach a little bit of that sermon today. Uh, Clarence McCartney was a was a Presbyterian pastor uh, in Philadelphia in 1915. He was a pastor in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, uh, when he first preached this message about this time of year. And then he preached it every single year for 40 years. He retired in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, preached it last in 1955. It is said that, especially in the latter years, that when he would preach this sermon every year, um, in November, sometime in the month of November ordinarily, sometimes beginning of December, when he would preach this message that, that people, business people from Pittsburgh would, would crowd into his large church such that there was standing room only and people on the streets trying to hear what he had to say, even though it was verbatim, the same sermon year after year after year, but people, it is said, would literally weep as he would preach this sermon, and it became such a life-changing event for so many people in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. And so since then, since 1955, many pastors uh, of, of all stripes have, uh, have sought to preach a sermon at least based on the sermon uh, that Clarence McCartney preached um, so many years ago, and so this morning I want to try to do the same thing uh, At least with his introduction. I, at least his passage of scripture and his structure I want to preach a message similar to that. I want to preach uh, a Message after what some people believe is the greatest sermon ever preached in America. And so 2nd Timothy chapter 4 uh, Let's just begin reading in verse 6 Uh, You should know that the book of 2 Timothy is the last letter that the Apostle Paul wrote, at least the last letter that has been preserved for us today. And so these are the last words of the Apostle Paul, so far as we know. Uh, Paul was in prison when he wrote these words. Uh, He was in prison in Rome, Uh, probably in prison between about 61 AD, 64 AD, in a two or three year stretch there. Uh, He was awaiting his execution. Uh, He was in prison because he was a Christian, because he stood for Jesus Christ. He proclaimed Christ crucified, and so he had been imprisoned. Uh, He was executed, and he knew his execution was coming uh, probably right after the the burning of Rome, which happened in July of of 1964, of just 64, uh, in July of 64. And uh, so it was shortly after that that Paul was executed by beheading. And so he writes these words that we have in 2 Timothy just sometime shortly before that would have happened. Verse 6, you can really hear the finality of his of his um, of his thinking as we look at this. He says, "For I'm already being poured out as a drink offering and have time and the time for my departure is close." A drink offering would have been an offering uh, offered on an altar, but it would be poured out such that it would be all gone. It would be burned up or evaporated or, or run down into the ground. But the point is that it is it is gone. And he says, I feel like my life, which has been offered up to God, now is just, it's just a vapor. It's, it's gone. I have given my all to God. And he says that my departure is close. I think it's interesting that he uses the word departure here. He doesn't say that he's going to die. Why? Because he knows that as a Christian, we don't die. We simply depart for another place. He goes on in verse seven and he says, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept to the faith. That's his autobiography. Uh, Were that that could be our autobiography. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. It's, it's one thing to start well. We need to be people who finish well. And I have kept the faith. Verse 8, there is reserved for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give me on that day, and not only to me, but to all those who have loved his appearing. And so he looks forward to his um, acceptance into the throne room of God, where he will be given the full righteousness of God uh, placed upon him because of the sacrifice of Christ. Now look at verse 9. He says, make every effort. If you underline in your Bible, those would be three good words to underline. We'll see them repeated in just a few verses again. But he says, Make every effort to come to me soon. And so he asked Timothy, Come see me quickly. Come soon. Make every effort. Make it the highest priority to come to me. Verse 10 Because Demas has deserted me since he loved this present world and has gone to Thessalonica. And so Demas, unfortunately, his name made it into the Bible for a bad reason. Uh, he was a, a, a servant of God, a, a fellow worker with Paul, but he liked the luxuries of life more than he did the building of the kingdom of God. And so he deserts Paul, and Paul notes that. Uh, the Crescans have gone to Galatia, uh, Titus to Dalmatia. Only Luke is with me. Luke is the one who... Uh, wrote the gospel of Luke and the book of Acts. He is a close companion for Paul. And many people believe that he was there in Rome helping Paul with his legal defense. But then he says in the middle of verse 11, bring Mark with you for he is useful to me in my ministry. I think that's important. If you don't know the story, Paul and Mark, uh, the, uh, the author, the human author of the gospel of Mark... They were close early in the book of Acts, but then they parted ways. They saw things differently. They had a heated exchange and they went two different directions. But it's interesting now, Paul, we see him at the end of his life. He has made things right uh, with the one that he had this division with. And and I think that that tells us that a godly man will make things right even uh, when he has relationship problems So then he says in verse 12, I have sent uh, Tychidus to Ephesus. When you come, bring the cloak I left in Troas with Carpus. Uh, Let's just stop there. So he had left his coat. Uh, Paul just had one coat. And now that uh, summer is uh, fading here in Rome, he's cold. Uh, I, I thought I would just read to you how Clarence McCartney described the uh, because you can just get a flavor of how this uh, Presbyterian preacher could uh, communicate so well. He said this, "This is the only robe that Paul possesses. It has been wet with the brine of the Mediterranean, white with the snows of Galatia, yellow with the dust of the Ignatian Way, and crimson with the blood of Paul's wounds for the sake of Christ. But now it is getting cold in Rome for the summer is waning. And Paul wants his robe to keep him warm. And so he asks Timothy, bring this robe that I've had for so many years. And then he says, um, uh, the second part of verse 13, as well as the scrolls, especially the parchments. Now that's interesting. Paul, even to the end of his life, was a man of, of study. What he says here is bring my library to me, bring, bring my books to me. Even though Paul was older, even though Paul knew that his ministry was coming to an end, even though Paul knew that his life was coming to an end, he still was a student of scripture. Let us never get to the point where we say we're too old to read books, that we're too old to learn more, especially about God. Let us, let us be curious to the end. And Paul was that verse 14, uh, Uh, Alexander the coppersmith did great harm to me and he goes on and talks about some other details let's skip down to verse 21 though he says make every effort again the same three words that began verse 9 make every effort to come before winter so there there's that title come before winter make every effort to come before winter now, why does Paul have such urgency? Why, why is Paul begging Timothy to come quickly, make every effort to come before winter? Well, I think there are two reasons for this, for this urgency, and both of them are important. First of all, Paul understood the brevity of life. Paul understood that life is short. For him, life was about to be very short. Paul Paul knew that he could be executed any moment, that they would cut his head off his shoulders. He knew that his life was coming to an end. That's why he wrote all of that he wrote here in 2 Timothy. Paul knew his life was short. Every time he heard the door open, he knew it could be the executioner's coming. To take him away every time he ate a meal he knew it could be his last meal every time he saw a sunset if he saw a sunset in prison it could have been he knew the last sunset he saw life is short now it's important for us to know as well because while we're not in a prison cell waiting execution the same is true for us life is short we, we have all these plans in our minds about what we're going to do next month and next year and five and ten years from now That's just part of human nature. We look ahead. We anticipate we get excited or we fear what's going to come up next But the truth is we just don't know right life is short life is short Most people will die far sooner than they think they will die death comes as a surprise to almost everybody life is short I think about what the Bible says in James chapter 4 says, come now you who say today or tomorrow we will travel to such and such a city, spend a year there, do business, make a profit. Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring, what your life will be, for you are a vapor that appears for a little while and then vanishes. I don't mean to depress you, but life is short. And even if you live to a ripe old age, life is still short, isn't it? I mean, it seems that as I get older, Life goes faster and faster. Do you know what I'm talking about, any of you? And faster. Now some of you you're young and you think, you know, I've heard people say that, that's silly. Life, you know, time goes as time goes. But some of you are older than me and you're thinking, Pastor, you have no idea. <laughs> I do remember when I was a when I was a child, the time period between Thanksgiving and Christmas lasted an eternity. I would be so anxious for those Christmas gifts, and I would count down the days. My mom hung this thing on the refrigerator, and maybe you do this at your house. And you took a piece of candy out of it every day, and it showed you how many more days until Christmas. And oh boy, that just seemed to make it drag out even longer. It just could not get here fast enough. It seemed like it was fifteen years between Thanksgiving and Christmas, but you know it doesn't seem. That long anymore, right? I mean, it's Thanksgiving, and then just bang, it's Christmas. <laughs> Ask Andre, this is sort of his busy season, and he wished it was 15 years between one and the other. But, but you know, now it just comes as, you know, we have Thanksgiving and we have people over, and, 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 and you have turkey, and then just bang, it's time for Christmas. And, 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 you know, as we get older, all of life is like that. Life, life is brief. Now, if you're not, um, discouraged and depressed enough. I want to make sure I make this point as strongly as I can. So I did some math this week. I I took an 82 year lifespan. Now, a lot of you, you're way beyond 82 and God bless you. Uh, you know, go for 10 more, right? But, but 82, they tell us that's a pretty good life. That's, that's a long life. Uh, A lot of us won't ever make it to 82. So let's just take an 82 year life just for our mathematical purposes. And then I want to compare that life, 82 years to a calendar year. So you're born January 1st and you die December 31st. The question is, what is your date today? I thought I would encourage you by sharing that information. If you're 25 years old, today is April 21st. Let that sink in. If you're 25, uh, you're right in the middle of spring. If you're 45, it's July the 19th. If you're 55, it's September the 1st. If you're 65, it's October 16th. If you're 75, it's December 1st. Are you depressed? So then I decided, just you know, to be a glutton of punishment, I would compare an 82 year life with an 18 hour day. So let's think about this. So, so you're gonna get up at six o'clock in the morning and you're gonna, it's gonna be a long day. You're gonna stay up till midnight. So six o'clock in the morning till midnight. And so we're gonna imagine that you were born at six o'clock and you, you go to heaven at midnight. So what time is it right now? Well, if you're 25 years old, it's 1130 almost time for lunch if you're 45 it's 353 in the afternoon if you're 55 it is 604 if you're 65 it's 816 if you're 75 it is 1030 at night listen i i do that sort of tongue-in-cheek but sort of really for this reason i want you to know what paul knew I want to know what Paul knew life is brief and the reason why Paul said Timothy come quickly is because he knew there weren't many more days life is brief but there was a second reason why there was such urgency I think with Timothy not only is life brief but opportunity is brief the brevity of life but the brevity of opportunity. See, what Paul knew, and he knew this firsthand because he had been in a shipwreck as a result of this before. Paul Paul knew that the storm season in the Mediterranean was the winter. And in those days, they didn't have satellites and radars and all the forecasting uh, technology that we have today. And so you didn't sail in the Mediterranean in winter. Because if you did, as Paul knew, a storm could blow up even when you didn't expect it. And it could destroy your boat. It could could cost you your life. And so people just didn't sail in the winter. And and so Paul was telling Timothy, you need to come before winter. Because when winter comes, the opportunity for you to come see me, the opportunity for, for us to be together one more time, the opportunity will pass. You know, we should be reminded as we see the, the leaves change and, and fall that every year the opportunity to do some things passes. It's not just that life is short. It's that sometimes the door to different opportunities in life will close. Opportunities brief. Opportunity, opportunity goes away. And, and so, so Paul said to Timothy, you need to come while there's still a chance to come. While you still have an opportunity. Because once the winter comes, you can't sail to see me anymore. Listen to how Clarence McCartney said it. Before winter or never... There are some things which will never be done unless they are done before winter. The winter will come and the winter will pass and the flowers of the springtime will deck the breast of the earth and the graves of some of our opportunities, perhaps the grave of our dearest friends. There are golden gates wide open this autumn day, but next November, they will be forever shut. There are tides of opportunity running now at the flood, but next December, they will be at the ebb. There are voices speaking today, which a year from today will be silent. It is before winter or never. We need to understand that not only is life short, but the opportunity to do certain things. The window is very limited. Our our opportunities... are are brief. And so that's the, that's the real focus, I suppose, of, of Clarence McCartney's uh, sermon that, that Paul understood and, and was communicating to Timothy that life is short and opportunity is short. And, and so here's where I want to sort of, sort of go in a little different direction. And as your pastor, I have prayed this week that God would help me to see three or four areas where you and I need to be challenged to come before winter. I wanna to talk to you about just, just a few areas in life where I think we need to listen to the, to the counsel of Paul. We need to understand the, the brevity of life and the brevity of opportunity, some, some areas where we need to come before winter that right now we need to respond to the Lord. And so three areas. Number one, I believe we should come before winter in the area of holy living, holy living. Uh, Why don't we live? Have you ever wondered this? Why don't we live the way we want to live? I I think for a lot of Christians, that's, that's a valid question. Uh, we we want to live a certain way. We, we want to be a certain kind of Christian, a certain kind of father, a certain kind of wife, a certain kind of man or woman of God. But oftentimes the way we live and the way we say we want to live are just, are just different. I don't think it's a lack of knowledge. I don't think in many ways it's a lack of desire. I think the reason we don't live the way we want to live is because we plan to do it later. I, I think the reason why, why most men are not the godly men that they desire to be, the godly husbands that they desire to be, is because we plan to be that later. I think the reason why we, we, we're, not, we're not so sold out to God is it's not because we don't want to be, it's because we just plan to do that later. Adrian Rogers said, procrastination is the biggest enemy of the Christian life, and I believe it is. I believe it is. I heard somebody tell just an apocryphal story, this is not true, but a apocryphal story about um, a conversation between some demons and Satan. And, and Satan had posed the question, how can we wreck the greatest number of lives on earth? And one of the demons said, the first demon said, let's tell people that there is no God. And Satan said, no, we can't do that for the knowledge of God is written on their hearts. And so the second demon said, let's tell people that there is no hell. And and Satan said, no, that won't work because there's too much evil in the world for people to believe that there is no hell. And so the third demon then said, let's just tell people there is no hurry. And Satan said, ah. There is no better way to ruin people's lives than that. See, our problem isn't that we believe that there is no God. Our problem is not that we believe that there is no judgment or that there is no hell. Our problem is we just don't believe there is any hurry. And, and, and because of that, we just continue to live a life different than the life we know we should live, and what's scary, different even from the life that we want to live. Now, Paul lived a very different life. I mean, I, you might wonder, and I wonder when I when I hear his uh, autobiography of his own life, that I have uh, fought the good fight, that I have finished the race, that I have kept to the faith, and I, you know... <laughs> Uh, You know, how how can a man say that about himself? Well, I I think it's because Paul just lived a very characteristically different life than many of us. I I was looking for some evidence of that this week. And let me just share with you two quick verses. First Corinthians four, four, this is something that Paul wrote. He said, I am not conscious of anything against myself. Could you say that? Paul said, I can't think of anything against me. I can't think of anything I'm guilty of right now. And and then in 2 Timothy, the same book, chapter 1, verse 3, he says, I thank God whom I serve with a clear conscience. You know, I think most of us just can't say those things. And and one of the reasons why there's so much stress, depression, and anxiety, uh, which are things that just seem to be... um, so much on the rise, even within the church, it seems to be an epidemic. And I know that all of those things are complicated and there could be many contributing factors, but I believe that one of the reasons why there's so much stress, depression, and anxiety is this: that there's, there's this difference between how we want to live and how we really live. That we can't say we have a clean conscience, that that, that, that we're constantly dealing with, with, with the incongruity of this, that it just the way, way we want to live and the way we live don't fit together and it causes, causes so much pain. And we learn to live with certain sins. We say, well, nobody's perfect. I can't help it. Uh, it's just a small sin. doesn't hurt anybody. I do better than most. And, and we just... We learn to live with sin. Sometimes they're small. Sometimes they're secret sins. Sometimes they're common sins. But it destroys us on the inside out. What we need to do is recognize that every day we wait. There's more sin to repent of. There's less time to repent in. And there is a harder heart to repent with. We must come before winter in the area of holy living. When are we just going to live the way we know we ought to live and the way we desire to live? When are we going to be the men and the women and the young people of God that we know that we ought to be and want to be? We need to come before winter. There, 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 there just needs to be an urgency where we say no longer, not another month, not another year, I will live the way I know I should live. Well, I think there's a second area where we should come before winter, not only in the area of holy living, but also in the area of right relationships. And I think many people look to their past. Many of us, we look to our past and we see debris from too many broken relationships. We, we, we look at relationships with friends and with family members and and even people in church and we just see all of this debris all of these broken relationships or or sometimes it's not so much broken relationships as, as it is relationships that have just grown into disrepair if you ever driven uh, driven through the country and and uh, you, you come upon an old house out somewhere and you see two or three vehicles in the front yard uh, that uh, the grass has grown grown up around them and you can tell that nobody's cranked those cars in, in years. And, and, and you know, when they parked those cars in the front yard, they probably never intended they, that they wouldn't move again. But just, just over time, disrepair and, and lack of attention. And, and now they have a junkyard in their front yard. And I think that's happened to many of us with our relationships. We've just, we've just allowed them to... to 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 become in disrepair. There are really two categories here, I think, where we need to come before winter in the area of right relationships. One is broken relationships. The Bible says in in Romans 12, 18, 18, if possible, as far as it depends on you, you should live at peace with everyone. Now, can you say that you have peace with everyone? You, You know, so many of us have these broken relationships in our lives and, and, and we could do something about it. We might have to humble ourselves, we might have to swallow our pride, but we could do something. And, and, and I think we need to come before winter in those areas. We need to step up and, and not postpone this anymore. We need to fix broken relationships. I remember several years ago, actually not very many years ago, I, I was doing a funeral, I, I went to the visitation and I knew much of the family. And I went to one of the older men Uh, That I knew and I knew that there was another side of the family that I'd never met and and so I asked this man If he would introduce me to his brother And he said pastor, I can't do that. His brother was just across the room He said I can't do that. I haven't spoken to my brother in 30 years Listen, it wasn't the time or the place but I wanted to say well shame on you It is It is up to us. We're the Christians. We're the people who have the hope of God in our lives. It is up to us to follow the example of Christ. Aren't you glad that God didn't fold his arms in heaven and huff and puff and say, look at those sinners. If they want something, they can come to me. No, that's what Christmas is about, that God reached out to us, that God took the initiative when it wasn't God's initiative to take, when it wasn't God's problem, when it wasn't God's fault, when we were the ones who rebelled, but God reached down to, 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 to reach out to us. And, and, and we need to do that in some relationships in our, in our lives. We need to honor God with, with our commitment to To men, broken relationships. You know, more depends on this than you know. And that's a whole other sermon. But let me just read to you something that Jesus said. Matthew 5, 23 says, so if you're offering your gift on the altar and there you remember that your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar and first go and be reconciled to your brother or sister and then come and offer your gift. Now, without preaching just a whole other message, just understand this. Jesus believed that it was so important that you and I take the initiative to go and mend broken relationships That he said you should do that instead of worship Now one of the things you'll never hear a preacher say is don't go to church. All right I mean if you you know if you want to ask me my opinion on things, uh, you know I got lots of opinions about a lot of things and some of them might surprise you but but this one won't I think you ought to be at church. I don't ever think there's a good reason not to go to church. You ought to be at church every week, be at church, be at church, be at church. But Jesus said, I know a reason not to go to church. He said, if you've got a problem with a brother, it is so important that you go fix that. You can skip church. This is the only, only skip, skip church card you've got, right? You can skip church to go make it right. He said, it's so important. We need to come before winter in the area of broken relationships, but we need to come before winter also with neglected relationships. You know, I think the greatest pain, and, you know, as a pastor, I've stood with, stood with people who have uh, gone through life's most difficult, painful experiences. And I, I think the greatest pain that people face in life is the pain of what they didn't say. I've sat with men and women after the death of a spouse and I've heard them lean over and say to me, Pastor, there was so much I didn't say. And just see them break down. A few months ago, I took my uh, oldest daughter to college, dropped her off. I don't know if you've done that, but uh, was hard, harder than I thought. Now she's still alive, of course. And I, you know, I can talk to her anytime I want to and see her, uh, fairly often, but you know, there there was just, I I was heartbroken when I left, when I, when my wife and I drove away, I was heartbroken. And, and, and here's, here's why not because I, I wouldn't see her again, but because I knew at that point she wasn't a kid anymore. There was just something. She didn't have to ask me before she goes somewhere now. I don't know where she is most of the time, other than the fact that on my phone, I can track her phone, but don't. (laughs) I would never do that. You got to understand. I would never do that. My wife does it for me. (laughs) She's not a kid anymore. I mean, that that just sort of marked a, a transition in life and there are people influencing her now that I don't know and will never know. It was just it was a transition. And I drove away and here was the thought I had. There's so many things I wanted to tell her while she was a kid. And now she's not. So I think the greatest pain comes from what we don't say. There are a lot of us in here. You need to say something to somebody. Maybe it's a spouse, maybe it's a son, a daughter, a mom, a dad, a brother, a sister, a friend. You you need to hug them. You need to tell them you love them. You need to tell them what they mean to you in life. You've just been waiting and you've just been procrastinating. But but Paul tells us and reminds us in this passage of Scripture that that life is brief and opportunity fades. And we need to come before winter in the area of, 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 of neglected relationships that need to be strengthened. I uh, uh, bought a car about six months ago, or ten months ago, or so, just before I came here. Um, So I'm still learning things about about the car. And uh, one of the things uh, one of the things it does the cars I've had in the past when it was time to change the oil, there was a light that came on, you know, and so the light would come on, you'd know to go change the oil, and I would. And uh, so it's um, in in this car. There's not a light that comes on. There is a counter that comes on, you know, so it, it counts down. You got 200 miles to change your oil. You've got 198, 197, 196, five, four, three, two. Gets down to zero. You know what it does then? It starts counting back up. You're one mile too late, two miles too late, three miles too late. And, and there's a display. You have to press a button every time you crank the car to make that number go away. I'll tell you right now, with my shame, the number's 3,019, I saw it this morning. Don't tell my mom. Um, but you know what that is? It's a, it, it, I don't even like to drive my car now, and I know there's a way to fix that, but because it is a constant reminder and a measurement of my failure over the last few weeks to take the time to go get my oil changed, it's as simple as that. And, but, but you know, it, it's really a blessing, right? Because I will get my oil changed. Now that I've told you this, I will get it changed tomorrow. (laughs) Here's the tragedy though. You don't have a counter for how long it's been since you called your kid and you said, I love you and I am proud of you. I mean, there's no counter that tells you you're 17 days too late or two years too late. I want this message to be that counter because a lot of us have a lot of things we need to say. We need to come before winter in the area of neglected relationships. And then a final thing, I think we need to come before winter in the area of clear resolutions. I'm going to be brief on this, but for too many of us we have procrastinated for far too long about life's most important spiritual commitments. Let me tell you tell you two of them. One is salvation. I I believe that there are people who come and sit in here every week and hear me or others preach the gospel of Jesus Christ, and you have every intention one day to surrender to Christ, to reach out and have somebody help you pray a prayer so that you can become a follower of Christ, so that you can be adopted into the family of God. I think we have people every week who watch online. We have people every week who are watching our television broadcast, and and they have every intention. I mean, the reason that you're here, the reason that they watch is because there's some spiritual inclination in their life but they've not taken the step they have procrastinated. They, they, they're still watching. They're still coming. They're still listening. But they've not taken that step. Listen, until you take the step, until you make the clear resolution, until you surrender yourself and say, I want to be a follower of Christ. I want to repent of my sins. I want to embrace what Jesus has done for me on the cross. Listen, all the good intentions add up to nothing. Nothing. Add up to nothing. You can't go to heaven on good intentions. God doesn't respond to good intentions. God doesn't save a person and rescue a person from hell because of his good intentions. At some point, we've got to say, I choose Jesus. I turn from my sins and I embrace Jesus. And I believe there are people here right now this morning and people who are listening or will listen to this broadcast that today is the day of salvation for you. You can't say no anymore. You you, you can't worry what somebody else is going to think. Today you must respond to Christ. Your life is short. Opportunity will close. I am thoroughly convinced that when... I was a junior in high school and and I heard the gospel on a on a youth retreat, I had heard it over and over before and, 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 and there had been some spiritual steps in my life but, but not what it needed to be. And, 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 and I just believed on that night when I heard the gospel that if I would not have responded to Christ that night, I would never have had another opportunity. I'm not suggesting I would have died. I, I just believe that God would have closed the door. God would have said enough is enough. I will not tarry with man forever. That I, that I will close the opportunity for them to come And I believe for you, if you've not made that decision, then you need to come before winter in the area of salvation. Today is the day you need to reach out to Christ. And I also believe that for some you need to come before winter in the area of baptism. See, I believe every week I stand here and I preach to people who who have come, many of them have come to a, a saving knowledge of Christ but but there's such an important part of our spiritual life, and that important part is that we are to go public with our faith. And that's what baptism is about. And so whether you're nine years old or you're 90 years old, if you have not gone public with your faith through baptism, believer's baptism, since the day that you followed Christ, then you need to do that and you don't need to wait for another 6 months there will not be a better time there will not be an easier time there will not be a more convenient time listen we need to we just need to come before winter in the area of baptism and I think there's some people here today, this is going to be really tough today because you know, you're you 50 years old and everybody respects you and, and, and people probably don't even know that you've not been baptized, but you know it and God knows it and you just know today's the day that God has pricked your heart and you need to come before winter. Life's too short. The opportunities are too brief. Today's the day. And it's going to be hard in a moment. We're going to have an invitation. I'm going to ask you just to step out and come see somebody here in the front and say, hey, I'm going to come before winter in the area of baptism. I want to set it up. I don't want to wait any longer. It's going to be hard for you to come down. But listen, that's the, that's the point of Paul's, of the close of Paul's message. All of this writing, and it comes down to this in, the, in his last letter, in the last chapter, in the last few verses. We can't procrastinate spiritual decisions anymore. It's time to come before winter. You ever wondered if Timothy did it? I wonder that. That's one of my questions I'm going to ask when I see him. Timothy, did you you go before winter? Did you get there before it was too late? I don't know if he did or not. We don't have any. There's not even really any tradition that tells us one way or the other. I I want you to hear how Clarence McCartney uh, wrote about the possibility. Listen to this. He says, suppose Timothy, when he received that letter from Paul asking him to come before winter, suppose he had said to himself, yes, I shall start for Rome, but first I need to clear up some matters here at Ephesus. He was a busy man in Ephesus. Then I'm going to go down to Miletus uh, to ordain some elders there. They've asked me to do that. And then I'm going to go over to Colossae to celebrate the communion. They've asked me to do that. And then I'll go see Paul. And when he was attended to these matters, he starts for Troas, and there he inquires where he can get a ship which will carry him across to Macedonia and thence to Italy, uh, or one that is sailing around Greece and the Mediterranean. And he is told that the season for navigation is over, and no vessels will sail till spring. And so he waits. All through the anxious winter, uh, we can imagine Timothy reproaching himself that he did not go at once to receive Paul's letter when he received Paul's letter and wondering how it fares with the apostle. When the first vessel sails in the springtime, Timothy is passenger on it. I can see him landing at Neapolis and hurrying up to Rome. And there he seeks out Paul's prison only to be cursed and repulsed by the guard. And then he goes to the house of Claudia or to Pudens, and, and he asks where he can find Paul. And I can hear them say, Are you Timothy? Don't you know that Paul was beheaded last January? Every time the jailer put the key in the door of his cell, Paul thought it was you coming to see him. He asked us every time we saw him if we had seen you. He wanted to see you so badly before he left but you've come too late. So the tragedy of your life will probably be, not to be that you didn't know enough. That, That won't be the tragedy. The tragedy of your life, if there is one, will be that in whatever area you waited too late. So I wanna ask you to bow your head and close your eyes for a moment. We're gonna do our invitation a little differently this morning. I'm gonna invite you, best we have room up here in the front, I'm gonna ask you to come forward. I wanna ask you to come forward if maybe you just need to sit on this front pew or kneel at this, one of these steps around this uh, platform just to make a commitment to the Lord that in whatever area the Holy Spirit has, has pricked your heart that you are going to come before winter, that you're gonna make that phone call, you're gonna fix that relationship, you're gonna repent of that sin. And my prayer is that the altar just be filled with people who, I mean, you don't have to share this with anybody, but you, you need to talk to the Lord and say, No more procrastinating for me. This isn't for a week from now or a year from now. I am going to come before winter. Would you join me here at the front in a moment when we stand and just briefly tell God with all your heart, I'm drawing a line in the sand. It changes today. But I want to extend another invitation. I'm going to be here in the front. David's going to be here in the front as well. We'll call other people to the front as we we have need. If this morning you need to pray to receive Christ, you have postponed it long enough. You have had the best of intentions. You've been coming every every week for six weeks or six years or 45 years. But it's now time to quit quit intending to have a walk with God. You're, You're ready. I want you to come and just take my hand or his hand and say, hey, today, I'm coming before winter. And I'm embracing Christ now some of you your decision this morning needs to be baptism and maybe you're older or younger maybe people know you haven't been baptized maybe not a person here knows we're not talking about church membership or anything like that I mean we we can talk about that at another time I'm just talking about being simply obedient and going public with your faith and you're not gonna say I'll do that in January that sounds like a pretty good New Year's resolution, Pastor. No, I know the leaves are falling. The times are changing. The, the opportunity is brief. And step down and take David's hand or my hand and just say, I'm going to come before winter, an area of baptism, and we'll take it from there. Father, I believe that there are just these critical times in our lives. There are not many of them. But I believe that we face some critical times when when we're either going to make a decision or we're not. We're either going to respond or we're not. And I think for many people this is one of those times. Let not one person in the sound of my voice today leave here with good intentions. But let us come before winter. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand together. You come right now. You respond as they sing.